Hello, welcome to MonarchCast. We are talking all things royalty. I'm Allie. I'm Claire. And today we're going to talk about England's first queen. Numero uno. (laughs) Yeah, there's a bit of a, a battle for the queenship, if you will. Well... That gets us right into our gossip, women versus women. <gasps> History's favorite media spectacle. History's right? favorite game. Yep. So before we jump into that, I don't think we have any royal oops from last time. Not to my knowledge, but as always, if you know one that we did not come up with, please don't hesitate to chime in. We're open to the feedback. And, and as always, that's on Instagram and now email. Yay. What's I our email again? <laughs> It's monarchastpod at gmail. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump into the gossip because if anyone out there is listening to this, chances are that means that you're interested in monarchy and royalty and all of that jazz. And that means you've probably heard something's rotten in Kensington Palace. Or is it? Well, something's going on. I don't know if it's the courts or if it's the press but something really weird is going on with the British monarchy so the question is what's going on are Harry and William mortal enemies are Meghan and Kate mortal enemies is Charles behind it all no idea so here's the summary of what's going on it all started with that tiara drama that we recapped in last week's episode But since then, there's been what can only be described as an avalanche of negative stories. And I'm going to summarize their topics in no particular order. But we have Harry didn't feel that William rolled out the red carpet for Meghan, so they had a huge falling out. Meghan made Kate cry when Princess Charlotte was being fitted for her dress for Meghan's wedding. Meghan and Kate had a huge fight last Christmas. Megan is opinionated. Harry is dictatorial. Harry and Megan are getting out of Dodge and they're moving to Windsor because they can't stand Kensington Palace. Megan and Kate hate each other. William and Harry hate each other. And Megan works too much. Or Megan works too much. Thank you. Or Did William, you hear that one? Oh my God. Or William and Megan hate each other. So. This is crazy, okay? This is, normally you see like one negative story, but this is story after story after story after story. And the only common theme is Megan's ruining everything. Yeah. Um so That was inevitable. It was, and I just want to talk about this because I oh, think Oh, and I want to clarify that story was inevitable, not yes. that she's actually ruining everything. Yes. And the only reason I want to talk about this is that I think that there's just so many moving pieces at play because we were talking about this before we started, but there's only really been one denial from the palace. And now here's the thing. They normally ignore this stuff. They normally don't comment. But the one story that they chose to comment on was that Megan and Kate did not have a huge fight last Christmas. So that's kind of interesting that they chose to pick that one. And there's a lot well, of the fight was like supposedly that Megan was rude to Kate's staff and yes. Kate was like, I'll deal with my own staff. And then they had like a big falling out over it. And maybe they chose to comment on that one because it was it felt more professional. 
related. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what's going on. So it's kind of weird because there's all kinds of theories about where all of this is coming from. So we talked about the tiara story last time and we talked about how there's this biography of Charles that's coming out and that perhaps there were some nuggets of information that didn't make it into the biography but made it into the press and maybe that's where the tiara story came from. But then if you take the tiara story and look at all of this, there's one theory out there that maybe this is all coming from Prince Andrew and the Yorks because Meghan inadvertently or on purpose upstaged Eugenie's wedding by wearing a coat that led people to speculate that she was having a baby. And and if you listen to some reports announced at the wedding that she was having a baby. Um, then there's the camp that thinks that this is all coming from Kate and William because they're jealous of Harry and Meghan's popularity, which I think is... I don't buy that particular story if you can listen to my laughter. Um, and then there's the theory that this is, in fact, all coming from Charles because Charles is jealous of Harry and Meghan. And then I but read we should one... say that it's coming from these people through their aides and courtiers and like yes. it's not coming from these people directly but like the message is being delivered through the media to yes. like step down. And then there was one theory I read that perhaps some of these stories were coming from Angela Kelly who is the queen's I guess we could call her a stylist. Um hmm. I think I think the point of all of this is that there is a huge backlash happening and I'm just a little bit shocked at how fast it's coming. The but timing doesn't surprise me though because Meghan and Harry in this trio of courts, if we treat Kensington as two parts, are supposed to be the lowest ranked members. But they've also been the members assigned with this, I guess, job of being the goodwill ambassadors to the commonwealth right so they were well that's, that's isn't that harry and that's um william and kate no that's harry and megan i think so no i think william and kate are the brexit ambassadors no the harry and megan are specifically like their job is to go visit commonwealth nations and oh, like you okay. know spread the the royal good cheer which is exactly what they were doing on their tour to australia and new zealand but Meghan and Harry are the new couple, right? Like they just got married, they're having a baby, their tour was a smash. And so, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do. But the timing of all of this doesn't surprise me because they were such a smash that they are now the most popular royals. So then somebody somewhere is like trying to reset the balance and doing this, but doing this in a way that is ridiculous because it's They've been pitting Meghan and Kate against each other since, like, the day Harry started dating Meghan, like, publicly, right? Like, oh, what's going to happen? And then the, the wedding comparisons and then, you know, all the stories about, like, the, you know, Kate going to the grocery store and ignoring Meghan or, like, whatever came up. Because, like, either women have to be the best of friends or they have to be mortal enemies. But if they just pleasantly get along and aren't that close, like that's not allowed because that's boring. So they have to like make all these stories up. And that's where you start to see all the ones about the tiara drama and crying. And maybe Kate cried during Charlotte's fitting, but Kate had just had a baby, you know, maybe she's hormonal and crying over who knows what, you know? Well, I kind of thought maybe, maybe she was just overwhelmed by the fact that her baby daughter looked beautiful in her little I dress mean, and she cried. Who knows? But like <laughs> all of this, the tone of most of these stories is, 
Kate versus Megan or Megan ruining the, you know, the closeness of William and Kate and Harry, Megan the interloper, Megan bringing her American workaholic ways to Kensington Palace. Oh, I like think you just that's hit the nail on the story head. like drove me nuts. But like, you know, the story is like, how dare she come here and do a good job? Because now they have to like tear her down because the British like nothing more than to pretend that birth matters and class matters and you know everyone's above this because how else do you perpetuate this idea of royalty right and so well I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said American yes I mean interloper is probably the thing I I think honestly I don't even know how much of this is nefarious I think that no I don't think it's like intentional I think it's just like these people can't literally think any other way well I think a lot of this is um cultural differences and I think you know we always think maybe in America I don't know how they think about this in Great Britain but we always think well we speak the same language we have a shared history um we're the same but that's really not true and I think when you have someone entering into such a storied institution from another culture there are just ways and rules of behavior accepted manners accepted ways of thinking that I know for a fact as an American Megan isn't going to even consider yeah and then you've got these old school Tommy LaSalle's types who are just not okay with it and they're not going to be able to tell her off in person yeah they can certainly go to the press and tell a bad story and make her feel bad and what better way to do that than to compare her to Kate who by all accounts has been the model paramour of William for the last 15 years though only lately I mean you have to if you go back and read stories about her after they got married it was it was a lot of the same No, no, but I mean like, stuff. sure, she's making her gaffes and everything because she's a commoner who doesn't know any better and all that stuff. But exactly. I mean like, but I mean Kate obviously was like a student of this lifestyle for, think about it, she's had 15 years to live this life, whereas Megan's been with Harry for like three years at this point. She obviously saw from the outside and then a little bit closer in, into the inside and then finally got married. Like seeing how these things ran and how they didn't change and how like what was expected of her and like now it's probably not an accident that like you know she seems to be getting more boring with like her style or manner you know whatever until now like every year because I think she's just slowly giving in of like she gets the bad press if she's like does something fresh or new you know or like dear god gets bangs you know so yeah, I don't know. I just kind of see it as this I happened just, to Kate. It's yeah. happening to Megan, and apparently, I was reading this happened to Diana and Fergie too. So they've got their stories, and they're just reiterating them. And of course, there's a fresh new spin on this one. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just ignore it and don't engage. They'll well, that's why none of the new... that's why none of the denials are coming out about all this stuff that doesn't matter. Right. I think the one that was like that was denied was telling because I think it was it was a step too far of like saying these women absolutely hate each other and this is why and they had this huge blowout fight over like staff and I think the difference is like 
that's Kensington Palace saying there's nothing wrong with our staffing situation or, you know, treatment of staff and all of that. Oh, that's a good point, too. You just kind of pointed that out, whereas they're trying to say we're not leaking this. Yeah. So we're going to deny this. That's what I think. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I just wanted to bring all of that up because normally we try to, you know, focus on one little story and... Um, There were just too many to choose from, but they all had a common theme. So let's watch this. Although I predict they won't make any more comments, but everyone will be hand in hand on Christmas morning. Yeah, well, they are. Like, they've already announced that they're going to be spending Christmas together. And and usually they don't even announce their Christmas plans. Like, people just wait and see who shows up. But they've announced that everybody's going to be in Norfolk with the Queen. The other thing was, obviously, the other news is that Meghan and Harry are moving out of Kensington Palace and moving to Windsor, which I think isn't surprising unless you put it in this context and it's just one more point for people to be like, see, William and Harry hate each other and they can't stand to live next to each other and all of that. Never mind the very good reasons, one being renovating the house they're moving into in Windsor is cheaper than renovating the apartment in Kensington. And um, Harry and Meghan have not been shy about saying that they prefer like the country to London and they have no reason to be in London because they aren't future monarchs. So my favorite angle on that one though was that Frogmore House, which is they're moving to Frogmore Cottage, but Frogmore House is the house on the grounds of Windsor that um, is where they had their wedding reception and everything. But Frogmore, the name comes from the fact that there's a huge amount of frogs in the area. And so my favorite angle of this was that it's a rundown cottage in the middle of a frog-infested swamp. And apparently it's right under the Heathrow landing um, flight pattern area. So the airplane noise is really loud. So the queen has banished them to the worst place possible to teach them a lesson. (sighs) That was my favorite angle. That's why I included that on the list. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, okay. I if think the that's queen a good can live under stop. the planes, then I think <laughs> they can as well. <laughs> if Frogmore is under the flight path, then so is the castle. I like, know. I know. Flight paths are large. <laughs> I know. And and wow, what a, what a sacrifice to live in your ten bedroom house. Um, but yeah. That's probably a good stopping place. I don't really have anything else to comment on that. I just thought, like I said, something is rotten in Kensington Palace. Or more likely Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Well, there was also the news like they had staffers quit. Maybe the news is coming from them. I don't know. But we'll see. Well, let's talk about the first Queen of England and the rough road there. So we're talking about Lady Jane Gray and Queen Mary. Mary. So Queen Mary and the Nine Days Queen. So we decided we'd do an episode on Mary because we talked about her a little bit at the end of Henry VIII and we've talked about her in the past. We have mentioned that she was the first Queen of England. We talked about um, the situation with her husband, Philip, and how he was king during her lifetime when we were talking about consorts and all of that. But we thought we'd explore maybe the first woman versus woman fight in English history, since this is the first time that you have two women vying for the crown. And the situation goes like this. So you have Mary the first or Mary Tudor 
and she was Queen of England and Ireland from 1553 until her death in 1558. She's the <laughs> eldest daughter of Henry VIII, and she was as we just mentioned, the first anointed Queen of England. There is some debate because some people talk about Queen Matilda who or Empress Matilda, and we will do an episode on her. Um, and then there's also this question of Jane Grey, who was technically declared queen before Mary. Um, but Mary is the first crowned anointed Queen of England. So she really is, according to most historians, the first one that counts. Um She's also, unfortunately, known to history as Bloody Mary. Um, But her reign actually began in a rather positive light. Um, However, if certain nobles had had their way, it would never have happened at all. Can I just tell you that I'm really sad that we're recording this at nighttime because I had this plan to, like, be drinking a Bloody Mary while we were (laughs) recording this. I mean, you still could. I don't think that... The Bloody Mary, the drink, is actually named after the Queen Bloody Mary, but I refuse to accept that, and I was just going to enjoy myself. Well, we can pretend if you want. I mean, I'll I could. We can pause. Unfortunately, you can go pour yourself a Bloody a Mary. A Bloody Mary is not really a nighttime drink, That's so true. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's not really an anytime drink for me, but I know you enjoy it. It's a new drink for me, but I am kind of obsessed now. Maybe we'll put Allie's favorite Bloody Mary recipe on the website. I've never made them. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I don't know how that's possible, but. Well, because it's new, you know, it's like a new to me preference this year, and I just have been enjoying the various versions out and about. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Sorry, we didn't have to go down a Bloody Mary tangent, but you brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) So as I just mentioned, if certain nobles had had their way, um, Mary's reign would never have happened at all. And this is because, once again, we talked about this. We've at this point talked about this so many times. But the question of religion rears its ugly head once again. So as we know, Henry VIII opened a can of worms with his divorce from the Catholic Church. And Mary's reign gets caught in this ripple effect. So when Henry died, he left three children by three women to inherit his throne. So the first in line is his son, Edward VI, who died at the age of 15 in 1553. Now, under the terms of Henry's will, Mary and then her sister Elizabeth were to follow Edward in the line of succession. This had also been codified into law in the Third Succession Act that was passed in 1544. However, Edward was an ardent Protestant, and given the fact that Mary was staunchly Catholic, it's a problem for her to follow him. And if you are, if you just are checking us out for the first time and you don't know the backstory of this, we've got a whole series of episodes on Henry VIII that can detail all of this and why yes, this happened. If you're in for um, a long car trip, we recommend it. <laughs> yeah. So when Henry VIII died, he left the newly created Church of England in place. And now the church, at least in the beginning, and we've talked about this a lot, was really similar to the Catholic Church. But under Edward's reign, intense reforms continued to take place, 
partly under the guidance of Thomas Cranmer, who you may remember as a big figure in Henry VIII's reign. And he, at this time, is the Archbishop of Canterbury. So the church, under his guidance, is transformed into a much more Protestant, as we would recognize it today, Protestant institution. Um, Edward continued the practice of confiscating church property that Henry had started, and the English Reformation advanced significantly under his reign. So Mary is on the opposite side, known to be ardently Catholic. Remember, her mother is the Spanish queen, well, Spanish princess, English queen, Catherine. She's she was staunchly Catholic. She had the support of the Pope, raised her daughter the same way. There's no question that Mary's reign is going to undo all of these Protestant reforms. So the only solution for Edward, and really, if we're being honest, the only solution for his advisors, because when Edward died, he was only 15. So he's not the one calling the shots, although he was ardently protestant on his own he was very religious he followed the tenets of the religion he really was privately bothered by the fact of mary's reign but i don't know that he would have gone to the lengths of disinheriting her were it not for his advisors so the only solution they can think is that they've got to remove her from the succession well and we should also add that mary's catholicism was very much rooted in this history of henry where you know, Catherine of Aragon staked her claims of legitimacy on the Catholic law. And so Mary was not only raised ardently Catholic, but her own succession was based on this idea of Catholic law and like, you know, this idea that her parents were still truly married. And so there's no way she's ever going to budge from that, right? Because she wants to be queen. She thinks she deserves to be queen. And the only way for, in her mind, like the thing that's really giving her legitimacy well, is her funny faith. that you mentioned that because the only grounds that Edward could think of to disinherit Mary from the line of succession is that Mary had been declared a bastard during Henry's reign and she was never technically re-legitimized despite the fact that Henry named her in the line of succession before he died. That, and that's true. So even though Mary and Elizabeth were restored to the succession, they were never legitimized as his legitimate children. They were still considered illegitimate and maybe more... Because he couldn't re-legitimize them and still maintain this idea that he had been promoting the entire time that he wasn't truly married to Catherine exactly. or Elizabeth. Right? So the downside here, unfortunately for Edward, is that he can't simply skip Mary and pass to his other sister, Elizabeth, because Elizabeth is a Protestant. Edward would have no problem with Elizabeth taking the throne, but he has no good reason to skip Mary. So because Elizabeth has also been declared a bastard and never re-legitimized, unfortunately for her, it puts her in the same boat as Mary. So if Mary's a bastard and therefore unable to wear the crown, then so is Elizabeth. So this leaves Edward in need of an heir. So enter the Lady Jane Grey. Now, if Mary and Elizabeth were removed from the succession, Jane Grey is the logical choice to step up to the plate. Jane was Edward's first cousin, once removed, so her mother is Edward's actual first cousin. 
And she's the granddaughter of Henry's sister, Mary. So I'm going to take a pause here to explain the family tree. So if we remember, we have Henry VII, who married Elizabeth of York. And they had several children, but they have four children that live to adulthood, or at least to a marriageable age. Um, we have Arthur, who you may remember was the Prince of Wales, who first married Catherine of Aragon. Then you have Margaret, who went off and wed the Scottish King James. Then you have Henry, who became Henry VIII. And then you have Mary, who first wed the King of France, and then later Charles Brandon, Duke of Suffolk. Um, and I think we talked about that a little bit. It was kind of a scandal when they got married. So you have the four siblings. So the Third Succession Act of 1544 restored Mary and Elizabeth to the line of succession, although they were still regarded as illegitimate. Henry also reinforced this in his will. His will went on to state that if none of his children left heirs, the throne would pass to heirs of his younger sister, Mary. And now this included Jane. So I just mentioned the four children. Mary had a daughter called Frances Brandon, and she's the one she married Henry Gray, so that's why she's Lady Jane Grey when they had their daughter, Jane. And at the time, what's really interesting is that even though Jane's mother, Frances Brandon, was still living, she was excluded from the succession in Henry's will, along with Henry's sister, Margaret, and her heirs. So as we know, Arthur is dead. The next, according to the rules of primogeniture, you'd want to see if you've got no more male heirs, you'd see the heirs of Margaret would come next as the next oldest child, but she married a Scot, and the last thing Henry wanted was to see a Scotsman sitting the throne of England. Well, they're also Catholic. And they're also Catholic, exactly. So she's excluded. So next he goes to Mary's heirs, but interestingly, he skips Francis and just names Francis's heirs as the next and in line. why is that? Nobody is really that knows, of... actually. The only thing I... Do think it was because her father was Charles Brandon? No. the My personal theory, and I didn't actually read anything to support this, was just that, again, we're talking about primogeniture here, and maybe he thought, well, she's a woman, but surely she'll have a son. So Probably. I kind of thought So maybe... heirs aren't specifying... Like, when he says heirs because he's Henry, he's thinking boys. Yes. But she had... Yeah three daughters I believe yeah um but that's the way that the succession worked so it was already a little bit confusing but suffice it to say that Jane is of royal blood through her grandmother and she's the great granddaughter of Henry VII and her father Henry Gray this is a little interesting and we'll talk about this when we eventually get to the Wars of the Roses But her father, Henry Gray, is descended from Elizabeth Woodville, who was the queen consort of Edward IV from her first marriage. So she married, I think his name was John Gray, um, but she had two sons with the last name Gray, and one of them is the ancestor of Henry Gray. So therefore, Jane has a very strong claim to the throne. And I want to mention, we will talk about Elizabeth Woodville in this series Mm -hmm. of when we get to the queen consorts, because she's notable in her own right. But I did want to point out what's really interesting about this scenario that you've just laid out with all the potential heirs is, so Mary is the first queen of England, and 
it's not that there wasn't potential in the past for women to rule. It's just that, you know, that was deemed impossible. And so they always went with the nearest male relative. But Edward, when he dies, is in this very unique position of whoever is left in line for the throne, whether it be his sisters, his cousins, whoever is deemed eligible, they're all women. For the first time in English history, there were no men and like no male heirs to be past the throne. Like, so if you, even if you bypass Mary and Elizabeth or Jane or even Jane's mother, Frances, it doesn't help you because there's no men. The only and man I think that's, that could have conceivably been a legitimate heir would have been Reginald Pole, who's mm-hmm. so Catholic that he's a cardinal and he's hanging out in Rome waiting to be invited back to England. Yeah, he's definitely not going to be given any sort of royal role because Henry hated him. Yes, so there's no, you're right, there's no man. Yeah, and I think it's just this interesting idea of England finally got a queen because it's just an accident of history that there were no eligible males, right? And I think it's really interesting to talk about, you know, oh, that's, of course, it seems like because of primogeniture, like natural that England would choose the the next person in line, but we've, we'll, we will talk about in the past how they didn't do that. And I think here it's purely because they had no choice. They really didn't. But if you've got to choose... According to Edward and his advisors, Jane is the best choice. Except... And now, remind me, that's because she's strongly related to two branches of this family tree, and she's Protestant. And according to the laws in place of England, she's the next in line who is a legitimate descendant. The whole premise of this is that Mary and Elizabeth are illegitimate and therefore are not allowed to sit the throne that's the reasoning that edward is using to skip mary which unfortunately also causes him to skip elizabeth you know what this is really fascinating to me in the context of is the episode we did last week on queen anne and how she and her sister mary came to the throne because their uncle charles had no legitimate children this idea of legitimacy is really important so and and flexible and very <laughs> flexible but really really the issue is more mary's catholicism than anything right so just to reiterate jane's not a bad choice the only problem is that mary and elizabeth are supposed to come first all of henry's shenanigans with the succession kind of opened the door to this possibility but these were not his wishes not only is this not what his will says but it's also not what the third succession act says so henry had made it very very clear that should edward die with no heirs he'd rather the children of his own body rather than anybody else and let's not forget that when these kids were born They were legitimate children. It's just that they were later declared illegitimate. And I think that that's a really big part of it, too, is that this whole the whole premise of their illegitimacy is kind of a fiction to begin with. So Mm -hmm. this is a problem because ultimately the nobles are just not comfortable disinheriting Mary and she was eventually able to to prevail. But here's here's what happened. So we have a character named John Dudley who is the Duke... Great name. Yes, great name. Who is the Duke of Northumberland, and he is the Lord President of the King's Council, which at the time essentially meant he's operating as de facto regent. 
Um, therefore, he's the most powerful man in England. Because remember, Edward is a minor. Right. Edward dies when he's 15. Yes. So he had successfully forced the Duke of Somerset, who was Edward Seymour, brother of Jane, um, Edward's mother. Other Jane. Jane yes, Seymour. brother of Jane Seymour, um, Edward's yep. mother. And so Edward Seymour was Edward the King's uncle. And he had been the Lord Protector and Regent. Basically, there was no one regent. Um, he had a council who was serving as um, advisors because Henry really didn't trust one person to be a regent because he rightfully saw that there'd just be a huge grab for power. Um, but the Lord Protector kind of served as the regent and therefore the de facto king. So the Duke of Somerset had a lot of power. But John Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland, successfully forced him out of this position. But he only did this about three years before all of this is coming to a head. And so recognizing that Edward's not long for the world because he wasn't very healthy, it's clear he's dying of something, most likely tuberculosis, he begins to plot to retain his grasp on power. And the best way to do this is that he knows that he can convince Edward to name Jane as his heir. And the best way to maintain his power is to hitch himself to Jane and so the way he does this is he marries Jane to his son Guildford Dudley are you following me that's an even better name yes oh my gosh yes so he's orchestrated this whole series of events where he's now put himself in place to be the father-in-law of the future queen great way to maintain your hold on power so Edward died on July 6th 1553 but what's interesting is his death was not announced until four days later. And now the whole reason for this is likely to keep Mary in the dark because Mary knew that and he was dying, but they didn't want her to become aware of his death before they were ready for her to know. Yeah, I had seen something where Elizabeth and Mary were both kept unaware of the severity of his condition. Like they knew he was ailing but they didn't know that he was dying and nobody told them no in fact um and they were deliberately kept away and unaware yes because the i think because the reason is that the privy council knew that they weren't going to inherit so they wanted to control the manner in which they learned of his death because that was just another way that they could control mary and elizabeth so when it was finally announced four days later jane is declared queen It's kind of up for debate in history how she actually felt about this. There are some sources that say she's just a 16-year-old girl who has no idea what's going on and she just meekly did what she was told. There's some people who feel that she was a 16-year-old girl who recognized that she was about to become the most powerful woman in England and was completely fine with that. But unfortunately, we just don't really have any way to know. But in any case, she went to the Tower of London to await her coronation. What I, of course, because the tower at this time is both royal residence and prison. Yes, but it's where you typically would go the night before your coronation or in the time period beforehand. So she's going there. She's moving into place. She's just waiting for everything to be secured. So 
They've got to get rid of Mary and Elizabeth first. What I also found was interesting is that in this time when she went to the Tower of London as they were trying to get down, get her to nail down all the details of her reign, she refused to name her husband as her king. Um, the most she would do is she named him the Duke of Clarence, which I thought was kind of interesting because the whole idea is she's going to be a pawn in Dudley schemes and he can't even get her to name his son as king. Maybe she realized England didn't need a King Guildford. I think this to me tells me that she recognized she was being used as a pawn and she exercised the power that she had in the only way that she could. Maybe I'm projecting too much on there, but I think that I just thought that was kind of interesting. So she refused to name her husband as king. So as we just mentioned, once Edward died, the first order of business really is to deal with Mary. So she's not sure of his death at first. In fact, there are members of court who come to her and tell her that he's dead and she doesn't know whether or not she can trust them. But once it's announced that he is dead, um, she has to be very, very careful. So she begins to make her way to London or she at least appeared to do so. And what she really does is she goes very, very slowly and she makes her way to East Anglia rallying supporters along the way. So East Anglia was a region of England that was very Catholic and very anti-Dudley because just a few years before he had put down a rebellion there. So people really didn't think very highly of him. And when she gets there, she writes to the Privy Council declaring herself queen. So Mary Mary knows what she's doing. She's been preparing her whole life for this. Um, Dudley actually sets out with a few men to try to capture her, but she manages to evade capture and it becomes clear while all this is happening, again, we're only talking about a matter of days, that the public supports her claim, claim over Jane. Part of that was because they knew that Dudley was behind Jane. Part of that was that nobody knew who Jane was compared to the fact that Mary grew up as the Princess of Wales. She'd always been popular and the people loved Catherine. So Mary was a very popular choice despite her Catholicism. Northumberland also overreached in his quest for power. So when he left London to try to capture Mary, the Privy Council switched sides and supported Mary as soon as he was gone. Um, As I mentioned, Dudley was also extremely popular with the people. So it just becomes clear over a matter of days that this is a failed venture. Um, Jane was declared queen on July 10th, and nine days later it was all over. Thus the title of the nine days queen. Interesting how this whole problem starts because of Mary's religion. And the only people who really seem to care about that are the nobles. Like the people obviously don't care and are probably, you know, divided in their own way between this new Anglican religion and Catholicism. So, you know, they're like, oh, she's Catholic. Well, who isn't, right? Like who cares? And also they've grown up thinking that marries the princess of wales and like this is their way to support catherine and all of that so religion is this driving force for the nobles but then even then the nobles are kind of like well we're just gonna see which way the wind is blowing and just forget our original concerns like all of this just seems like incredibly arbitrary and unfortunately these 
poor women are at the center of it. Well, it's definitely a miscalculation. And what's interesting, too, is that a lot of people pay attention to this territory of East Anglia, where the people were certainly for Mary. But the reason the Privy Council switched sides is that the people of London were for Mary. Mm -hmm. And people forget, you know, London is where the king maintains his power, but the people of London were notoriously independent for lack of a better word they they public opinion in london mattered a lot so the people of london were for mary and once the privy council saw that they knew that they had to be for mary as well otherwise they were going to be run out of london with barely the clothes on their backs right because london is the place where she's going to march through the streets on her way to coronation and where she's effectively going to rule and if she's constantly getting like tomatoes thrown at her you know while she's trying to go about her ceremonial duties that's not a good look for the monarchy yeah it wasn't gonna work so it's probably worse than tomatoes but you know so about nine days after jane has been declared queen um northumberland jane and dudley her husband were arrested um along with her father um and the few other people Um, Northumberland is the only person at this time to be sentenced to death. Um, That's not actually true. He's the only person to be put to death. Jane and Guildford Dudley were found guilty of treason and sentenced to death, but Mary was determined to be merciful and recognize that this really was Northumberland's plot. So she, she just kind of moved Jane and Dudley to house arrest and decided she wasn't going to kill them. Um, Jane's father was released. So really it's just this recognition that these are really young, probably relatively innocent people. Northumberland's the one who had this whole nefarious plot. So he's the one that was immediately executed. Everybody else gets treated rather gently for the time. But unfortunately for Jane, there were those who did not want to see Mary on the throne. So all of that takes place in 1553, but just a few months later in 1554 you have what's called Wyatt's Rebellion and now Allie this is Thomas Wyatt the Younger not the one who was the poet and involved with Anne Boleyn right this is his son so he leads a rebellion against Mary um, and his beef is in response to her plans for a Spanish marriage Um, he does not support this and so his plan is to to depose Mary in favor of her sister Elizabeth. Um, The rebellion, unfortunately, is unsuccessful. It's quickly put down, but the damage is done and Jane has to go. Um, So this is kind of interesting because people often say, oh, she tried to claim the throne and she was deposed and executed, but that's not really what happened. Um, Mary was perfectly willing to let her live, but unfortunately, Jane's father and two of his brothers joined this rebellion. Mm. So that was that. She's executed on February 12th, 1554. It's hard to say what her role actually was, but as a result of her death, she becomes something of a Protestant martyr. And that's why you have this almost mythological story around... Jane Grey, the Nine Days Queen. So I'm assuming that her father and her brothers were eventually executed as well, Mm -hmm. but 
it's really unfortunate that she's caught in the crossfire of their political ambitions. Like, she's probably happy and under house arrest. Thank you, Mary, for not killing me. And then her father and her brothers, like, run off and join Wyatt's rebellion, and Jane's executed by association, essentially. I think what you have here is kind of an Earl of Warwick situation. Where yeah, if you it's remember, very similar. He's the heir to the Duke of Clarence, um, who was drowned in a vat of Malmsey wine, and he represented enough of a threat to the reign of Henry VIII that he's kept under lock and key, but Henry was never going to, or I'm sorry, Henry VII. Um, Henry VII wasn't really going to kill him until you have Ferdinand and Isabella demanding his execution right. so that there would be no threat to the reign. And this is kind of a similar situation. I think Mary was determined to be merciful, but once she saw, you know, in this particular case, this was about Elizabeth, and there was a question about Elizabeth's involvement, although she maintained her innocence, but I think Mary realized that as long as you have a figure that people can rally around, that's dangerous. And so... Right, especially because she has to spend her energies in other places. Exactly. So that ends the threat of Jane to Mary's reign. So I want to give a brief summary of Mary's reign because it was relatively short. But once Jane's out of the way, and people forget this, but her reign did start off on a very positive note. As we mentioned, she was very popular. The people supported her. And despite being the first anointed queen of England, everyone felt that she could rule successfully. Unfortunately... Mary made a series of poor decisions and failed to anticipate the long-term effects of many of her policies. So there's three real reasons why her reign is considered unsuccessful, even though it wasn't very long. You know, we're only talking five years, but it wasn't... And Mary is, what, 37 when she becomes queen? Yes. So she's already advanced age for a woman of the time. But I think Mary had a dream of what her reign would look like and she kind of failed to keep up with the times. So the first issue is this Spanish marriage. So Mary is determined to marry Philip of Spain. And now this is the son of Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor who we have talked about. We have a whole episode on him if you'd like to listen to it. So they're related. She's his son. I mean, he's he's his son. No, Philip and Mary oh, are they're, related. Um, cousins. They're cousins in some degree. They're first cousins. First cousins. Yes. Charles is the son of Joanna, who was who Catherine's, was Catherine's older sister. sister. Ah, right. Okay. And if you recall, at one point Mary was engaged to Charles. Right. But that didn't... But Charles at this point is like ready to be done with marriage and retire to a monastery. Oh, he's like a 50-year-old man at this point. But yeah. he's he's encouraging Mary to marry his son. And um, the marriage is wildly unpopular from the start. Um, it inspired a rebellion, as we just mentioned. But there's several reasons. The first is the Catholic issue. So Mary's Catholic... And many were not thrilled that she would marry another Catholic. Additionally, due to her parents' divorce, there have been years of anti-Spanish propaganda 
So you have to contend with that. The people of England do not trust the Spanish. You also have this problem of the fact that Mary is a woman and she's the first queen. So there's a lot of unanswered questions surrounding Philip's role. Is he going to be king? What happens if Mary dies? The fear is that England's going to fall under Spanish rule as a result. And not just Spanish rule, if you remember from our episode of Charles, Habsburg rule. And they control so much of Europe that the English are thinking, well, we don't want to be part of that. Many of these fears are addressed by the Marriage Act that it's called Queen Mary's Marriage Act. Um, And basically they determined that Philip could be king during Mary's lifetime, but if she dies, he does not retain any power in England. Um, Despite this, the marriage remains hugely unpopular. And Mary, even though Philip is barely there. Well, he's there at the beginning. And but like then he goes back to Spain to rule Spain. Yeah, oh, we'll get to that. Um, okay, but he's there at the beginning, and actually, um, his father had to give him some additional titles to make him equal to Mary. Um, well, so isn't that the reason Mary chose him anyway? Is because she needed an equal of some kind. Like they want her to marry an English person, or. They wanted her to marry an Englishman. She doesn't right. want to. But she can't do that because in her mind, if she's the queen and she marries her subject, then how can she I don't... rule over him if he's her husband, right? Like she really wanted – she was very into this idea that her royal husband should be someone of equal weight to the fact that she is a queen. I think that's part of it. But also you have to think about this in context – Mary lost her mother when she was relatively young. Her mother was a Spanish princess. I think Mary had romanticized the Spanish people. And the idea of marrying a Spanish prince who is, by all accounts, incredibly handsome and charismatic. I mean, apparently she fell in love with his portrait and that was it. She had a screaming match with her privy council that she was going to marry Philip and nobody was going to stop her. So she pressed forward against all advice to have this marriage and it was never ever viewed favorably and it backfired against her but I think also to her credit she didn't have a lot of options well it depends if she's it depends on what's really into this idea that he's supposed to be somewhat equal to her and there's no way for that to happen if he's english now never mind the history of english kings marrying english women i think also what you have here is you have a woman of a somewhat advanced age for the time refusing to be told what to do yeah in any case it can't be said strongly enough this marriage was a mistake from the eyes of the English people. The other problem you have is, again, the question of religion. So Mary's Catholic, and from the beginning, she wants to undo her brother's and her father's church reforms. So unfortunately for Mary, it proves very hard to stuff the genie back into the bottle, so to speak. So when Mary first took the throne, she promised that she would not force her religion on her subjects. Um, only a few months later, you see several Protestant leaders, including Thomas Cranmer, who, remember, is the Archbishop of Canterbury, <laughs> imprisoned 
and the first parliament of her reign declaring her parents' marriage to be valid. She abolished Edward's reforms. Henry's reforms are later repealed, and the English church is once again brought under the jurisdiction of Rome. Then, not content to stop there, Mary has several of the Protestant leaders burned at the stake. She burned something like 280 people at the stake, including Thomas Cranmer, which earned her the nickname Bloody Mary. Um, many of the richer Protestant leaders, in fact, over 800 of them, chose to flee England and choose exile rather than be burned at the stake. As a result, her reputation suffers all over Europe because you have 800 rich Protestant men leaving the country and telling everybody about Bloody Mary. You know who else did something like this? Who? Mary's grandma. Well, you know, and that's the problem is that she has this religious fervor and she has no desire to be tolerant. She decides it's Catholicism or nothing and she's incredibly extreme in her approach. And this, I think, is her biggest mistake perhaps because... Again, she had a five-year reign. It was relatively short. But remember, we're talking about a girl who grew up. She was very, very popular. And she becomes so ruthless and bloodthirsty that she undoes anything positive that she did. There are some positives to her reign, but honestly, nobody even talks about them. Um, it's all about Bloody Mary. Everybody knows Bloody Mary. Yeah. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is just like her father, she has this failure to procreate and secure her succession. So Mary immediately wanted children from her marriage and had at least two false pregnancies. And this is this is kind of interesting. So she's desperate for an heir as Elizabeth is the one to succeed her. And we just talked about all of this idea of um, undoing all of these Protestant reforms and being a really... Um, bloodthirsty catholic for lack of a better phrase um but elizabeth is protestant so the last thing mary wants just like edward before her you know it's unfortunately that they kind of ping pong that way in the succession but mary does not want elizabeth to follow her but she's not going to disinherit her she's just going to try to have a baby and disinherit her the legal way um, so she knows all these reforms that she did would be in vain if Elizabeth succeeds her. So shortly after her marriage, everyone, including her doctors, believed she was pregnant. Um, it progressed like a normal pregnancy. She had nausea. She began to expand in the belly. She was showing all the signs of pregnancy. Um, but unfortunately, nine months pass, and then 10 months, and then 11 months, and after you've past the normal time for a gestation mm -hmm. it becomes clear that there's no baby so once philip realizes that mary is not pregnant and there is not going to be an heir he takes off for spain and as you mentioned he 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 was gone for two years he didn't come back um and mary is distraught because she's in love with him she thought she was having a baby now there's no baby so she decides that she's being punished by god for allowing heretics into her realm. So this most likely fed into her bloodthirstiness that we just talked about um, briefly before here. Um, 
And unfortunately, Mary, just like Henry, can't secure, can't secure her own succession and she's forced to leave the crown to Elizabeth. So right before she died, she had another false pregnancy. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Nobody really knows if these are what's there is a there is something called hysterical pregnancy um, where a woman wants a pregnancy so badly that her brain tricks her body into thinking that she's pregnant and you have all the signs of a pregnancy but of course no baby comes along um and i think it's pretty clear that that's what happened the first time the second time because she died so shortly after she was supposed to be pregnant some people think maybe it was uterine cancer or she had some kind of tumor I thought she died of the flu. Well, she was very ill. It could have been the flu, but some people say she had some kind of underlying cause. It could be with that one because I had also read that she waited a very, like she waited seven months before announcing the second pregnancy because she was so humiliated after what happened with the first one. But there was no pregnancy. Right. But that led me to believe that you know, there must have been some kind of proof of like you feel the baby kicking or something because now also let's remember that we're dealing with a time where the idea of doctors is laughable, right? right? She's got doctors confirming her pregnancy, but their only proof of that probably is like lack of menstruation. And at this point, Mary is like 40 years old, old for her time period and probably in premenopause. There's a lot of factors, and again, like you just said, there's no medical care, so there's really no way to know. But yeah, um, on November 17th, 1558, Mary died at the age of 42. So given the fact that she's succeeded by Protestants, remember, think back, Mary is the last Catholic queen. Well, she's the only Catholic queen, but she's the last Catholic monarch. Yep. So she's succeeded by a long line of Protestants. So her reputation, of course, suffers from that historical lens because you have the successors writing the histories. Um, But despite her bad reputation, she's most remembered for being the first woman to successfully claim the English throne. And that is why we've talked about her today. Yep. And I think she'll be even more interesting in retrospect after we finish this series because it's really interesting how history just, like the factors were all in place for this to happen. You know, like there's no, there's no male to pass the throne to. There's no male to have the women rule instead of or on behalf well, of, it's you so, know. like it's, Yeah, it's so interesting because we did this whole series on Henry VIII and you're still seeing the ripple effect. You know, think about that. If he hadn't changed the religion of England, it you would have had Edward. You, you wouldn't even have had Edward and Elizabeth. Yeah, Mary might have, have taken the Mary. throne at the age of 27 instead of 37. And yeah. maybe she would have had a successful marriage and had heirs, and you would have had the Tudor line continue. But, you know, of course, history is one big game of sliding doors, and we don't have that. And I wonder if part of Mary choosing Philip as her king is intentional in that she also knows 
having a foreign marriage, especially with Spain, is a really great way to secure the power in her own hands because nobody is asking her to give rule of England to Philip. Well, that was a really good alliance. I mean, let's just think back to our episode on Charles V. Remember, he was the most powerful man in Europe. And even though you have a decline of the Holy Roman Empire, Spain is still building an empire. I mean, remember, they control the Americas. They have those alliances with Portugal. They've they've started to creep into Asia. So Philip was the king, eventually, of a vast empire. So it was a good marriage for Mary to make. Certainly, if you, of course, aren't going to look to France and you aren't going to look to Italy or anything like that. Um, and, of course, Germany's cut off because it's Protestant. That's a good point, actually, that there were probably very few Catholic monarchs to choose from as well at this point. But I think also this fear of Spanish rule is a really savvy move on Mary's part as well to play off of because it ensures that the crown is securely on her head. And she didn't go through everything with Jane Grey and her entire life of, you know, maintaining her legitimacy to then see her her role passed to her husband because he's a man. Right. I think the only thing Mary cared about was any children. Right. She would have wanted it to pass to them. But it's kind of interesting because for whatever reason, everyone was really against it and she plowed ahead and would not take no for an answer. She was a strong woman. She was misguided for sure, but she <laughs> knew what she wanted. You can't doubt I that. I think, you know, the way I think about it is she, from birth, was raised as the Princess of Wales, and she was special, and she was Henry's heir. And then she saw the way her mother was cast aside, and her religion was cast aside. And I think when she finally got her chance, her thought was, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to fix everything. And unfortunately, she just ran out of time. Because she may have. If she had a 20-year rule, she may have, you know, accomplished her goals. But unfortunately, it's just a blip in the continuation of the English Reformation. She may have, but I also wonder if the problem of her devoutness would have only gotten worse if she continued to rule with no children. You know, the parallels of her rule and deciding to burn all the heretics because she can't have a baby is very similar to when we talked about Isabella and Ferdinand in the Inquisition, but when it spread to Portugal, that was almost directly because the rulers had become convinced that they were offending God in some way and that that's why they couldn't have a child. And so, or that's why I think the queen died in childbirth or something. Like, you know, because they don't understand medicine, because they don't understand science, equating this faith or lack of it or lack of proper exhibition of their faith with, you know, the fate of their lives and then the tendency to then overreact in a very violent manner because of that. I It's really interesting to me how Mary did exactly the same thing. So, and she did that in this short period of time, but with the belief, you know, in her mind that I could still have a kid someday. So if she continued to rule for 20 years, but never had an heir, would that only get worse? Or would she just calm down and say, it is what it is, like accept a Protestant future because Elizabeth is her heir? 
I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. But I think it's good that we covered her because she's definitely worth exploring in further detail. And it's really interesting if you look at her compared to Jane Grey. And, you know, I think I always thought of Jane Grey as they just plucked some poor girl from obscurity. But she actually did have, arguably, some people would argue, the better claim to the throne. Mm -hmm. Because, and that's, you know, and we'll get to her as well, but that's what Mary, Queen of Scots... Um, made her claim on you know in comparison to Elizabeth is this idea that Mary and Elizabeth were declared illegitimate and that carried a lot of weight and there Mm -hmm. were a lot of people that felt that they were not legitimate heirs to Henry's throne but I think as we'll continue to see religion trumps everything yep it sure does Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully this one was interesting. And if you have any feedback, as always, we welcome it. And if we made any errors, please let us know. Next week we're doing, is it going to be Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots? Yeah. All right. So we've sort of teased that. And tune in next time and you'll get the whole story. Yeah, we're going to continue this historical tale of women versus women. (laughs) There's probably going to be some modern day gossip to add to the equation let's yeah perfect timing (laughs) all right until then see you next time monarchast is produced by me ali and me claire and our logo is by ryan cooney if you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out please rate or review us on itunes or google play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is we really appreciate it